When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The way I say it is, you can take any group of people and subdivide them to three groups. Top 10%, bottom 10%, majority 80%. Top 10, by their definition, want to be there. Bottom 10 have to be there. And the majority 80 follows whichever group has more influence and accolades. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show today. Uh, Excited to have you with us here in the middle of season 14. And our guest today is on a mission to empower organizations to inspire and rewire their people so they can achieve desired results. Uh, His name is Sunjay Nath, and he started an international speaking business at age 19. Something we have in common, Sunjay, except that mine was not international. It was quite domestic, like within a square mile, I think. But I did start a speaking business at age 19. Excellent. Uh, So in person, Sanjay has addressed over 1 million people around the world. And that's quite an accomplishment. It was recognized in 2005, becoming one of the youngest Canadian uh, to ever earn their CSP, which is the Certified Speaking Professional, and then the third youngest in the world, which is just amazing. In 2018, Sanjay was inducted into the Canadian Professional Speakers Hall of Fame, which is quite an honor to uh, in a very, very select group of folks in those uh, the Hall of Fame and, and speakers uh, across the world. And in addition to speaking and to feed the entrepreneurial spirit, Sanjay's acquired and runs a boutique fleet of transport vehicles. So in addition to all of that experience, you got that firsthand experience on team performance, employee engagement, organizational culture, uh, which he's going to bring to us today. And all of that culminates in a topic that we're talking about today, which is also his trademark, his book, The 108010 Principle, uh, and the name of the book is The 108010 Principle, Unlocking Dynamic Performance. And as if the, all that weren't enough, Sanjay, you're also the father of three high-energy sons, and when you're not on stage, and this I find fascinating, you're either playing ultimate frisbee or full contact chess. Okay, one of them's true. One of them's a bit of a trying to be funny and clever. I see. So the ultimate frisbee was just being clever, huh? You got it. You saw right through it. (laughs) Yeah, just totally transparent. So Jay, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. So glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me, David. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I have a question. Is it a prerequisite to have a soul to be on the show? Uh, no, but yeah. Okay. So if you're a vampire or something, then, you know, we need to talk about that. But, uh, as long as you have insights to help the rest of us maintain our souls while we're leaving, while we're leading and, uh, you know, not lose that, I think you're in the right place. Perfect. Uh, joking aside though, and, and, and this notion of having a soul is what sustainability is all about. So if you are a tyrant and if you are a jerk and you are a leader, you might be able to coerce people for a short period of time, but in the long term, you will not maintain staff. You'll have ridiculous turnover. You'll have high job dissatisfaction. You'll have tremendous amount of stress, and it is not a sustainable business model. Absolutely. And it comes at a high cost for you, too, as a leader, if you're leading that way with the stress that you experience and all the energy you got to put into either 
yelling louder or replacing all the people who have left. So either way, you're stressing yourself out too. Well, okay, so we're going to get into leadership. We're going to get into the 108010 principle, but uh, just to learn a little bit more about you, we started at age 19. You started your own international speaking business. I want you to take us back maybe even farther than that to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. What comes up for you? Oh, early. um, So I was a shy, quiet kid. And this notion of of being on, well, let me back up further. I'm a believer that says most of what we do comes from a perception of things we lack. And so I was a quiet, shy kid, always compared to my brother. Oh, look at him. Be more like him. Be more like him. And so it, to me, it becomes natural that I'd be driven to doing something like speaking where you're getting attention and accolades. Um, people that grew up in a house that they perceived, and it doesn't, by the way, perceived is the big key word here. It's not necessarily reality. It's their perception of it. So if they grew up in a house where they felt there wasn't love, they're more likely to go, I need love. I'm going to gather people together at all costs. If they grew up where they felt they didn't have money, money becomes more important. So I think this notion of being quiet and shy when I was a, a wee gapper, led me to believe that, oh, leadership is the solution. This is the thing I'm lacking. And so as I learned about that as a kid, it was always kind of cool and and fun. And another word that always just resonated with me was this word of entrepreneur. And to me, that was a different form of leadership. So when I was in eighth grade, (laughs) being the entrepreneur I was, I ran a store out of my my locker, a school store. So I, I had like $10 to my name. This is in the 80s. And I went to the local discount store and I bought some chocolate bar and pop and, and I was selling it to people in the 10 minutes, right before when people are putting their stuff together in, in the morning. And, oh, this has got to be a week or two into it. And I, I'd broken even, even made some money and I had a, a locker full of candy. <laughs> the vice principal came and knocked on the door of our classroom <laughs> and said, can I speak with Sanjay? And, and in eighth grade, if, if a principal or vice principal ever brings a kid out of the class, what does everyone do? They go, Ooh, you got it. So I, uh, they, they pulled me out and she says to me, she says, I understand you're running a school. Uh, pardon me. You're running a store out of your locker. And me being, having a high quotient of smart assery, I said to her, I said, uh, yeah, do you, you want to buy something? <laughs> and she said, no, I'm going to have to shut you down. And so that led yeah. to, other sort of entrepreneurial efforts, for example, in, in high school, I ran the school store legitimately. <laughs> um, I was student council president. I was valedictorian. I played sports. You know, So I, I was always in some sort of leadership role. And I found, too, that up until maybe my mid-20s, if I ever joined a group or an association, to me, it seemed useless to join unless I, wanted, unless I was going to be the president. Mm. Right? So I... And it was after that, I kind of chilled out a little and the, the type A kind of mellowed somewhat. And I went, wait a minute, you can contribute in different forms. And then that's when I started realizing that I had a more broad um, perspective of leadership. Le- the best leaders don't lead always. The best leaders know when to lead and when to follow and when to let that person who should take the reins because they're in that, in that apprentice role of leadership and then they become a supporter. And so I, I've opened that definition. It wasn't always the type A, but very often, in fact, more often, the best leaders are the type Bs, the backup, let someone else take the reins, the accolades, uh, the appreciation, and, and they're supporting. I'm curious, as you're describing that transition, I'm going to go back to the school store here in a minute too, but the uh, the transition there, 
was there, as you mentioned, the things that you're looking for that we all are looking for from our youth and from our childhood and then the expression of those, did you start to set aside or recognize that you didn't have that same need for the status or the recognition? Is that what allowed you to maybe not have to be in the defined role with the spotlight and, and play some other leadership roles? Uh, absolutely. The, the swing is this, is I think it's human. It's definitely societal. We go from one extreme of stupidity to the other. And, and I'll, I'll give you, because I just had this conversation today at lunch. We used, before we used to have, before we had unions, we had employers taking advantage of the workers and, and being unfair about, about it. And then what happens is these unions came along and they got so powerful. And then there's a lot of situations where the unions are now taking advantage of the employers. And what we need to do is find that compromise in the middle. Uh, we see this from uh, in the, in the mid to late 90s when they were talking about employment opportunities we said hey if there's five guys you have to have five you have to hire five women and i've never been of the belief i don't like the the quota i like if someone's reasonable and, and good for the job you hire them but they went from not hiring women for many many years to over hiring and now they were hiring 90 pound fire women and they went wait a minute they can't carry a 300 pound guy out, out of the building maybe maybe it's not this extreme maybe it's not the other extreme it's somewhere in the middle and so Going back to that, as a kid, I was told you were shy. And in the back of my head, I got, oh, you need attention. And then it was like, attention, attention, attention. Look at me. Look at me. I can spit nickels. I can juggle. I can eat fire. And what you do is, as long as you're a student of the game and the game of life for me, I heard people going, hey, you know what? You can back off sometime. Hey, you can let some other people take the spotlight. Hey, there's a beauty and there's a power in letting other people doing that. And I kind of matured and grew into that kind of going, oh, wait a minute. So all of a sudden, when I was a camp counselor, a camp director for a group that uh, focused on leadership skills and students, and I saw that quiet, shy kid come in on day one, and then on day seven leave, and they were able to get in front of the group, I realized that that's just as powerful as getting a standing ovation. It's a different form. So yes, to your, to your question, 100%, that's what it was. It was understanding that there are other forms of appreciation. There are other ways in which to take leadership uh, to a different level. Mm, very nice. When, uh, when, when going back to the school store thing, when uh, just not because it's leadership, but because it's where my brain went when you said that the principal came knocking and maybe I've seen too many organized crime movies. I thought for sure you were going to have to pay a protection fee or, you know, <laughs> get, give the principal a cut. <laughs> I tried. I offered her something. <laughs> you know what? Free candy bar every day, as long as we could not, not get in the way here. Yeah, I did call it hush candy. Hush candy. There you go. I uh, when I was in high school, I uh, would go to the the store, particularly on the hot days. I'd go during lunch and get a uh, uh, thing of uh, sodas that were on sale, and then after school, sell them for a discount over what people would pay at the vending machines make enough money to cover the cost of the sodas, drink one myself and drink and give one to whatever girl I happened to have a crush on at the time. So anybody listening can think about who did he give those to? Oh, that there tells me a lot. By the way, was that a, a, a pun on the word crush? Anyone you had a crush on? Crush soda? Oh, there you go. It should have been. If I, Next but, time, we're going to refine that story and and work that in. Yeah. There's Gotta a pun in there. Um, orange crush, grape crush. Yeah, something. Exactly. Uh, I was going to say that you're along that line i said i ran the school store legitimately in uh in high school legitimate with little gray area so we had a we had a soda machine and i would offer 
discounted drinks, but uh, mine weren't refrigerated. So you could pay back then it was a dollar there or 75 cents with me. Um, I also sold gum, which I wasn't supposed to. It was under the counter. So if you came and gave me a wink and you needed a pack of gum, we could hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, the, the lessons we learned uh, early on about- the, I don't know what you're doing, but you've got place. some pretty seedy underbelly guests uh, on your podcast here. What you know, it's, we try to maintain a pretty ethical standard, but uh, you know, people <laughs> slip through the cracks here. So that's all right. That's all right. You, you've, you, I, I can tell already that you have reformed your, you know, you're, you're not selling gum under the table anymore. Exactly. All right. Well, let's, let's, I was in Singapore two weeks ago and, and you don't sell gum there at all. Oh, well, this is true. Nope. No, you don't. This is true. The, uh, uh, 80, 10, I'm sorry, the 10, 80, 10 principle unlocking dynamic performance. So that's the name of your book. It's a, this core concept. Uh, and so I know everyone listening to the show interested in dynamic performance in a human centered way. So we're in the right place. We're talking about the right thing. You kick off talking about this principle with the story of, you know, something we haven't explored yet, which was politics. You were, you were interested in politics, by the way, again, I shared funny, funny, these things, completely different lives, never met before I ran for office when I was 21, you know, it served as an elected official. So you're trying to do this and you learn something about the 10, 80, 10 principle. Walk us through this. Sure. Uh, I, let me give a quick high level overview of what the, the 10, 80, 10 principle is for people that maybe aren't as familiar. And so the way I say it is um, every, you can take any group of people and subdivide them to three groups, top 10%, bottom 10%, majority 80%. Top 10 by their def definition want to be there. Bottom 10 have to be there. And the majority 80 follows whichever group has more influence and accolades. So here's an example of where you would see the 10-80-10 principle at play. If you've ever been to a public performance, a theater, a movie, a, a speaker, and you end up giving a standing ovation to a performance that you didn't truly believe deserved a standing ovation. That's the 10-80-10 principle at play. How does it work? Pretend it's a theater performance. You're sitting down next to the lead role's mother. The performance finishes. She is up on her feet, hooting and hollering, standing ovation. Oh, my baby, throwing roses. Oh, that's my child. And you look around and there's a smattering of other people standing up. And out of social convention and out of politeness and norm, you end up standing and giving a standing ovation. So what happened in that dynamic is the top 10, the mother, got empowered. And the majority 80 started falling. Okay. The opposite happens too. Bottom 10. Ever been to a presentation that is bad? No, that's an understatement. It is excruciatingly boring. <laughs> the content is irrelevant. The delivery sucks. You look around and everyone in the group either is having a side conversation or they're checking their email. So what do you do? You pull out your phone and you start texting, right? There's an example of the bottom getting empowered and the majority 80 following them. Okay. And so that's the very high level um, version of it. And, and again, there's all kinds of nuances. And as you said, this is the core philosophy of everything I do. So I've been uh, in the professional, a professional speaker for just shy of 29 years. I've been in front of over 2,000 audiences. That is the core philosophy of everything I do. How does this apply to politics? I remember when, uh, and, and I'm not, no desire to be political. I don't even know if you have a political angle to your presentation. I'm, I'm trying to be extremely neutral here. I don't care. Everyone's entitled to their wrong opinion. So... And uh, just after Trump won, I was doing a presentation. And this is a question that came up a bunch of times. People ask me, why did Trump win when he didn't get the majority of the vote? 
right? So for, for again, historical purposes, he actually did not have the majority of the vote, yet he still won the presidency. Why? It's 1080-10. Like him or not, and I don't care if you like him or not, what Trump did in terms of the election was quite clever because he went into certain areas and went, oh, I'm not going to win these areas. I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to waste resources. I'm not going to send manpower, women power. I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste the money and the time. But the ones where they were close, he went and pushed for those. The ones where he was winning, he was going up, we went after those. So when he lost, he lost big. And when he won, the other won big or he won by a smidgen, but he, channeled his resources accordingly to empower the top 10 so the majority 80 followed. So this is what I found amazing is I was, this was 2003, I was interested in politics. I ended up going door to door with this guy who had a very high pedigree. Uh, he, had, he was one of three brothers and they were all very high ranking in, in the political atmosphere. And I always thought that people went door to door trying to decide, sorry, trying to get people to vote for them. And that really has no reason. That is not why people go door to door. They go door to door simply to find out if you're voting for them. And if you're voting for them, using my language, you are a top 10. And the way the philosophy works is if you find your top 10, what you want to do is you want to empower them. Because if you empower them, you almost create a magnetic force for other people to follow. Right? So going back to the standing ovation, if more people are standing and the spotlight's shining on them, and you're sitting next to them, you kind of feel the obligation to stand up. So they go door and knock door to door. And, and again, I don't care about parties. So I'm going to pick two parties. So there's two political parties. We have the tie-dye party and the Paisley party. And pretending oh, I'm tie-dye. Totally team tie-dye. Totally team tie-dye. Okay. So what I do is I start knocking on the doors. And the first guy goes, oh, I'm Paisley. So I go to the next door. And, oh, I'm Paisley. I go to the next door. Paisley. Pais I'm going to keep going until I get to tie-dye. And when I hit tie-dye, I go, oh, you're tie-dye? And I say, how you doing? And then I say to them, I say, great. I've isolated my top 10. I would now want to empower them. I say to him or her, I say, have you thought about putting a sign on your lawn? They come in two sizes. There's extra large and super colossal extra large. What would you like? And then if they play that, I go, hey, have you considered doing what I'm doing, going door to door and finding out who else is voting? Hey, have you considered driving the bus on the date of the election to pick up the people that may not have a ride so we can get them to the polling stations. What I'm trying to do is I'm empowering them. Because if I empower enough people and someone's driving through that neighborhood and all they see is the tie-dye signs everywhere, if they're tie-dye, they go, woo, woo, go team, go. And this is why I'm voting tie-dye. Look, they're everywhere. Or if they're not, then they get this mentality that goes, oh man, tie-dye's everywhere. Why bother in voting? And so what you're doing is you're going after, you you attract the majority 80. And then once you do that, the bottom 10 does something really quite amazing. This is the secret sauce in the 10, 80, 10 concept. The bottom 10 either runs after everyone else going, wait for me, I want to vote tie-dye. Or they go, what the heck kind of political association is this? I'm out of here. And they move. So that's that's kind of how it is at a high level. And that's either a uh, an, an intriguing, insightful, like, wow, that's how politics works. That's how the system works, which there is uh, so much truth to that, having done it myself. Or it's uh, an opportunity for to have some insight into human nature and how we can use that approach to really unlock high performance in our teams. So let's take that uh, recognition. And by the way, one of the things that I thought was interesting in, in your book as you talk about that experience was 
the the recognition of surprise that you had as you're watching this high political person who meets somebody from Team Paisley and says, and, and then Team Paisley kind of says, hey, you know what, your your party's wrong. I don't like it. Da, 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 da. And he doesn't argue, doesn't try to change their mind, politely says, you know what, you're right. Sorry to waste your time today and moves on. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll elaborate a bit on that. So I was literally shoulder to shoulder with this guy. He knocks on the door and he says, how you doing? I'm Billy and I'm from Team Tie-Dye. And she looks at him and she goes, oh, really? And like her eyes, it was, it was, it was like something out of a movie. She's like, oh, really? Well, let me tell you what your party's been doing wrong. Because I've been supporting the other guys for 40 years. And, and as she's rambling on, in the back of my head, I remember thinking, this is awesome. I got front row seats to the fights and I didn't have to pay for them. This is great. Like he's going to get her. And as soon as she takes a breath, he's that's exactly, he jumped in. He says, uh, you're right. I, uh, I, I, we maybe got this wrong. We'll have to revisit it. Thanks for your time. And he walked away and I was like, I want a refund. That sucked. That was nothing. <laughs> and, and I didn't even get it at the time. And he, and he didn't explain it to me. And it took me years to kind of in retrospect to look back. I went, Oh my gosh, this is, this is 108010. Because if he had stayed there for an hour, would he have convinced her to turn parties? You know, a day, a year? She's got 40 years of political baggage. On the flip side, if she had talked to him for an hour, would she get him to change parties? A day, a year? No, it's not going to happen. It's a wasted time, effort, and resource for her and for him. Why have the discussion? Using the same time, the same resources, the same manpower... He's way better off to go to a top 10 and get them to put a sign in the lawn. So it's it's a matter of, it's not a matter of doing extra work. It's a matter of rechanneling what you're already doing, but doing it in the area or the arena that's going to have the most value. All right. So the principle we've got, there's 10% of the people who want to be there, they're in. They've got 10% of the people who don't. And then the 80% majority that are going to go to whichever of those other groups is stronger. That's the principle. That's it. Okay. So let's explore this a little bit more. So one of the elements that when we start thinking about this from a leadership perspective is it, that this principle is really focused on behaviors. And so we talk a lot about behaviors on the show. What do you mean by behaviors when you're talking about the, the 108010? Right. So when, when I kind of explain this to people, I say there's, you know, there's a couple of caveats that you need to understand. I say, since we're dealing with the behaviors of human beings, it's not an exact science. I say 108010 because it rolls off the tongue better than 206020 or 595, or for the mathematically inclined, pi 100 minus 2 pi pi. The, the point is this there's a top group and a bottom group and a big chunk in the middle. The big chunk in the middle is looking for direction. So um, th- that's one thing. The second thing is this is every group, every group has a top 10 and a bottom 10. Right? It's not an absolute scale, it's a relative scale. The example I often use, I say, think about it this way, even the all-star team has its weakest players. Now they're really good weak players. And that's kind of what you want to do as an organization is over time is you want to raise your bottom 10 higher and higher and higher so that your bottom 10 is higher than some other people's top 10. But relative to your group, you just want to keep stair-stepping over time. But the third piece, which ties into what the point you're bringing up, the third thing I always emphasize with people is this, is top 10 does not mean good and bottom 10 does not mean bad. Mm. Top 10 simply means you exhibit the behavior I'm looking for and bottom 10 means you don't. 
And it's not an assessment of the character of the person. Because if my criteria changes, the top 10 and bottom 10 can swap very quickly. So if I can illustrate that as an example, it's a bit of theoretical jibber job. Um, in certain situations, I can look to my team and certain people will be top 10 and certain people will be bottom 10. But I can look to the same team in a different situation and they can swap. If you're doing a brainstorming session and there's a devil's advocate in the room, you want to throttle them because they're annoying. And they're always like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Aliens could abduct us. And you want to smack them. But if you take that same group and instead of doing a brainstorming session, you're doing a safety uh, a safety analysis, then all of a sudden that devil's not going, well, what if aliens abduct us? People go, great, I never thought about that. We'll, we'll put in some you know, reinforcements against that. So whether or not that devil's advocate is a jerk or a saint is irrelevant because their behaviors, not their personality and their character, their behaviors are what we're looking at. So if, if I'm implementing a new software in the organization, there are people who are going to be excited about it. Oh, this is amazing. It's going to save us time. It's going to save us resources. I'm all about it. There are people who are bottom 10. Oh my God, here we go again. You have to relearn the whole new system. We just did this six months ago. I didn't sign up for this. I don't care who they are as people. I'm simply looking at them as behaviors. And as a behavior-looking, seeking person, people who buy into the software, regardless of whether or not they're a jerk or a saint, become my top 10. People who don't buy into the, top, uh, into the software, regardless of who they are, again, uh, makes them a bottom 10. An example that came up a lot in the last couple of years was, I don't know if you heard about this thing we had a couple of years, it's called COVID. Did you hear about that? Familiar. Yeah. So again, when I was presenting, people would often ask me, how does this 10-80-10 concept play out with regards to vaccinations? And so the first thing I said is, okay, this is why it's so important to understand and always start with what the language I use is, what's the desired result? What are you trying to achieve? Because based on that, you, your top 10 and bottom 10 can, can be um, articulated very differently. So if I'm a conspiracy theory person, my top 10 are the anti-vaxxers. My bottom 10 are the pro-vaxxers. On the flip side, if I'm a public health organization, my desired result is to get as many vaccinations as I can. My top 10 are the vaccine or the pro-vaccinators. My bottom 10 are the anti-vaccinators. Again, in both groups, there's jerks and saints. So when I talk about behaviors, I'm talking about what they're doing, not the intention in which they're doing it. So that's so, that what behavior is about. And there's so many applications of this. And we talk a lot on the, on the show about the clarity of knowing what success looks like and what you're trying to achieve as a leader so that you can define it behaviorally. And that's a jump that a lot of leaders don't make. And we get frustrated about why aren't people doing what they should be doing and all the rest. Well, we have to know what that looks like. So what are the behaviors? And without the, and I love what you're saying there in terms of it's not about a moral assessment of a person's character. It's about this is the behavior. This is the thing. And in one context, that behavior is exactly what's needed and it's useful and it's efficacious and others, maybe not. And the thing is, you don't know. I, as a speaker, uh, maybe you found this. I, I, I probably not. I think I'm the only person in the world that's ever happened to. Uh, but sometimes I'm in front of an audience and not everyone in the audience wants to be there. 
surprising. I've, I've, I've never, ever had that happen. I don't think, I, I, don't, I think I'm the only person in the history of the world. I guess, you know, millions of people, a few of them maybe didn't want to be there. Yeah, maybe, right? Uh, yeah, no, it happens to all of us, right? I mean, there's always that, that person. Of course there is. But here's the thing is, we don't know why. Yeah. Like, if, for example, if I'm looking at the audience and there's one guy in the back corner hacking away at his iPhone, Right. And then I'm kind of giving him the evil eye or this or opposite. I'm sending him love and inviting him into the conversation and all that kind of stuff. I don't know why he's bottom 10. He, by by wait, by definition, by him looking at his phone makes him bottom 10. Why is he looking at his phone? Maybe because he thinks I'm a jerk. OK, but maybe his daughter's pregnant and he's waiting to get the call or the text to say he's got to take him to the hospital. The, the, so it doesn't matter why. But it matters the approach and how we deal with the situation. Mm-hmm. And there are different ways. So if a guy is looking on his phone, uh, again, I'm not going into the whole theory and stuff, but what I, I say in order to do this, you got to be doing two things simultaneously. You have to neutralize the bottom 10. And after you've done that, you have to empower the top 10. And when you neutralize something, you spend the minimal amount of time, energy, attention, and thought so it no longer draws resources. And so that's what the that's what the the political mentor did when they said, "Oh, you know, you're absolutely right. Thanks." Move. He said, "Great, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste my energy. I'm not going to waste my mental calories. I'm going to get out of the situation." Flip side, let's go back to the guy on the you know texting on his iPhone. Okay, if I try to win him over, if if this guy's daughter's pregnant and he's excited, first time grandpa, and I say. Why don't you share your experiences? Why not you come and sing Kumbaya with us? Is he engaged? No. Is he going to give me time of day? Maybe, depending on his politeness. But chances are, even if he does, it's so superficial. It's people will smell the insincerity. And it's just not worth our time. It's not worth his time. So you want to neutralize it. If a guy's on his phone in the back corner, how do I neutralize that? I ignore it. It doesn't do anything. Like, I just look at the people who want to be there. I know who wants to be there. They're nodding, leaning forward, smiling, taking notes. They're engaged, right? Now, how you neutralize will change from situation to situation. That's based on your experience. That's based on, uh, you know, history. There's, there's a bunch of factors that come in here. So if that same guy, instead of looking at his uh, iPhone quietly, has his laptop open and he's playing youtube videos on full blast and elbowing his neighbors going oh that guy on stage just sucks he's not funny check this out how i neutralize that behavior is very different right that's when i'm gonna i don't know give the group something to do and go have a one-on-one discussion i'm gonna invite him to leave i'm gonna straight out ask him hey you're disturbing us can you shut that down same thing with a group of, of people under your supervision, whether you're the leader or whether they're your peers. But in that group, how you deal with someone who's disconnected will vary from situation to situation. Sometimes it's ignoring them because they're having a rough day. You give them space. Other times it's firing them because they're just a bad fit. Not a bad person, but a bad fit. Other times it's coaching. Other times it's discussion. Other times it's relationship development. You know, it's creating a transformational experience. And depending on what you're trying to do, what your resources are, you vary and what your experiences are, you'll, you know, you do that accordingly. So very often, ignoring the bottom 10 is some of the best things you can do. 
going back to the blood drive clinic, I mean, sorry, not the blood drive, or the uh, uh, COVID vaccinations, to implement it, the, if you are, assuming you're a pro-vaccinator, the worst thing you can do is give the platform to the bottom 10. And that's what people want to do is, oh, you tell me what your issue is and we'll argue it. No, no. Because what you're doing is you're empowering the bottom 10. And guess what that does is it attracts majority 80. What you want to do is you want to talk about how this guy or girl or family got the vaccination and it saved them and it saved their dog and it stopped the flooding. And you want to put them, you know, give them the attention, give them the resources, give them the attention, give them the thoughts, give them the accolades, give them the presses. And then other people go, I want in too. In fact, that's how the bottom, that's how the anti-vaxxers, depending on if you're bottom 10 or top 10, got their momentum. It was an article here. It was a, a tweet. A tweet there. It was an Instagram here. So, so as as you're talking, I'm I'm thinking back to a uh, early in my career. So I started my professional career as an educator, and I had a, a class. It was the final period of the day. Uh, the students in the environment we were in, the doors were up. Like they didn't have to be there in that particular school. It was very easy to to leave early ditch and and there were very few consequences in that particular environment and i remember uh, the principal coming in to uh, do an evaluation of the class and i was bemoaning the fact it was early in the semester that i don't know at least a third of the class let's say was not there and he said listen you can spend all your energy worrying about the kids that aren't in the room and you will never be successful he said, I would invite you to focus on the people, the students who are here, you know, so that's your, your top 10, right? That the, you got that 10% who really want to be here and give them everything you can. And that will start to, so that was the new, the principle you're talking about. I'm recognizing that in what he was saying, neutralize the bottom 10 who aren't there because they're not there and you're spending any energy worrying about them. It's wasted energy. Give all of your energy to the folks who are here and do a good job there. The rest will take care over time. So if I go even a little deeper on that, so what you did is by focusing on the people that want to be there, that's your top 10, you empowered your top 10. Then what happens? The majority 80 kind of follow them. Once you hit that critical mass, that's your top 10 plus your majority 80, using the bottom 10 do one of two things. So they go, hey, I want to come, or they go, I don't want to be part of the school and I'm out of here. So how does that work? Is your top 10, go to lunch or go to recess or go to the playground or the movie theater and go, Hey, remember in class when the teacher said that, that was so funny. That was so cool. That really helped me. And what they're doing is the majority of years like, well, my teacher didn't do that. Or, Oh, I missed that. Or I shouldn't have skipped that class. That's exactly what you're doing. So going back to the political example, when you find someone who is your top 10 and you empower them, then they go to the poker game or the, beauty salon or the whatever and they go you know what my local candidate did for me they did this and other people go really well mine didn't do that for me tell me more about that well maybe I, i'm on the wrong party and what you want to do is create advocates which are your top 10 because remember they want to do it you're not trying to force someone to do something they don't want to do you're giving people that already have the desire you're giving them the resources and the opportunity to bring it to the next level and so by playing in the top 10, here's the best part. Your turnover is reduced, your stress level goes down, and your job satisfaction increases. 
people then shift from having to go to work to getting to go to work. We're talking with Sanjay Nath. The book is The 10-80-10 Principle, Unlocking Dynamic Performance. And uh, this conversation is just fascinating, talking about human influence and focusing on the 10% of people who are exhibiting the behaviors that we have previously figured out. This is what we want to see. These are the behaviors that lead to the outcomes we need, empowering them, not spending that time energy, neutralizing that that 10% who aren't, and then that will draw the 80 towards those desired outcomes. So let's take this principle and this concept into a business setting, into business leadership type of situations. And because I know you do a lot of work with organizations and help leaders with in applying this principle. What are some of the common decisions, circumstances, uh, applications that you find that the leaders can be thinking about using this principle in their work? For sure. So three days ago, I was speaking at a real estate uh, organization and we used a hypothetical. I said, so go figure real estate people, they're looking for more business. Very a common thing regardless of the business, but I'm, I'm using this because this was the actual example. And I said, here's a hypothetical. You have a $100 gift basket and you've decided you're going to give this away as a promotional item. And what most people do is they kind of go, all right, I'll use my, my language. You have top 10, bottom 10, majority 80. And they go, I'm not going to give it to the top 10 because they're my loyal customers. They're going to buy from me anyways, right? And usually people do is they look and they go, oh, that guy right there? He buys a house every day, right? And that is a dream for a realtor. They're like, I want that client. But if someone's buying a house every day, they have a realtor. They have a realtor. And if they're buying a house every day, guess what? They're very loyal to that realtor. They have a very good dynamic. But people think, well, I want that client. House a day. Oh, geez, I'm definitely giving them the basket. Now, relative to me giving that basket, that person, although they buy a lot of houses, relative to me is a bottom 10. Right? They're a top 10 to their realtor, but to me, they're a bottom 10. So what most people will do is they'll take their $100 basket, and instead of giving it to their top 10, they'll give it to their bottom 10. And they'll sit by the phone, wait for it to ring, and it doesn't ring. Why? Because if you are a stranger to that person, and someone randomly gives you a $100 fruit basket, one of a few things happens. Either A, you go stranger danger, and you think it's laced with arsenic, and you throw it in the garbage. B, you consume it but you have no idea who sent it to you and you don't care because you're already loyal to your realtor or C, you regift it. And none of those scenarios does that person go, I buy a house a day. I think I'm going to go buy, get it, go you know, hook up with this David Dye guy and, and he's going to be my new realtor. It doesn't happen. So targeting the bottom 10 more often than not is a losing proposition. At least what I call the triple whammy. Because three whammies happen. Whammy number one, that person doesn't change their behavior. Whammy number two, I get demotivated because I had the life sucked out of me. And whammy number three, all the people around that person feel ignored. You're focusing on a person that doesn't want to be there. And people who are actually looking for help and guidance and support feel ignored. So you got three whammies going on. On the flip side, if I take that same fruit basket and I go give it to my top 10, what do they do? They go, oh, come on, David, you didn't have to do that. You know I'm loyal to you, and I'm going to buy from you till the cows come home. But your response is, a legit, genuine response is, no, I just appreciate your business, and this is my way of saying thank you. This is why we have loyalty programs. The reason we have loyalty programs is not so people give away free stuff. It's because it legitimately works, right? So what happens is that person goes, and they go to the poker game. They go to the 
salon, they go to the mall, they go to the neighborhood barbecue, and they go, you're not going to believe what my realtor did for me. Out of the blue, for no reason, beautiful fruit basket. And they're going to go, wow, my realtor never did that for me. Or they're going to go, you know what? My cousin is looking to sell a place. That sounds like the person, type of person I would want to connect them to. So by empowering the top 10, the majority 80, which is that person who maybe is looking to buy at the barbecue, tends to follow. Once you have that nine, that that critical mass, your top 10 plus your majority 80, then the bottom 10 goes, oh, wait for me, I, I, I want a free basket. Or they go, these guys follow him inappropriately, I'm out of here, and they leave. So from a sales perspective, if you do any sales program, that's one of the things they say to you, go back to your previous leads, right? Who do you know? Why? Because those are all your top 10. And then the all the floor, all the formulas around, how do you empower that top 10? How do you stay top of mind? How do you create value? How do you, this is ways of empowering the top 10. Identify who they are, empower the top 10, the majority of you follows, that's how you're gonna increase your sales. All right, so that's a sales management, a sales leadership type of approach. Um, you know, and we've talked a little bit already, some easy application in terms of change management in any kind of organization when you're trying to implement any sort of change. 10, 80, 10, you're going to have, there are always early adopters, right? The folks who, you know, oh yeah, I love this new software. I'm going to give it every shot in the world. And and then the bottom 10 are like, oh, as you said earlier, oh, why do we have to do that? And so we can empower those top 10, the people, the early adopters and and feature the benefits and feature what's happening and, and empower them to spread the word. And sometimes that's really easy to do by just having them talk about it and acknowledge what's going on and some of the benefits and what their experience is starts to draw the rest. So that's sales, that's change. What's one more? Let's get one more business leadership application here that we can think about. Um, how about I go personal? I've had people, because this is what actually I think the most powerful part of this 108010 concept is, we've been talking about group dynamics and change. You take any dimension of your life, you have the same. When it comes to eating health, diet, and exercise, you have top 10 behaviors, bottom 10 behaviors, and majority 80 behaviors. And it's a story I share a lot of times when I'm on stage is that I used to be 200 pounds and I lost weight using 108010. I've had people email me afterwards going, wow, you know, um, I lost 80 pounds by doing that. People telling me they stopped smoking as a result. See, this is what usually happens when we get in a, uh, a diet type mentality. We get obsessed with the bottom 10. So we're calorie counting, we're um, carb, uh, carb, uh, whatever, ex extincting, extincting, is that a word? <laughs> extincting. Getting rid of the carbs, you know, that kind of thing. And so we get so obsessed with the bottom 10, you don't actually neutralize that behavior, you actually empower it. Let's step back a moment and define. So our goal is to lose weight, our goal is to get stronger, our goal is whatever. Are uh, what are the behaviors that are in the top 10, what are the behaviors in the bottom 10? So in the bottom 10, you're defining, as you said, carb counting, calorie counting, cutting carbs. I'll, I'll carb be more specific. As I'll, give you, I'll, be, I'll be really specific. My example. So I decided, okay, I need to lose weight. And I went, okay, what's my top 10? And I went to write it down and I was like, I, I don't have a top 10. This is what a lot of people think. They go, well, I, I remember you always have a top 10. Um, doesn't matter if you don't think it, it's there. So what I did was, is a long time ago, it was, it was before smartphones, it was before uh, PDAs. We had the stuff we called it pen and paper. And what I did was for two weeks, I just wrote down everything I did for two weeks. And after two weeks, I looked at my list and I went, okay, 
I went for 20 minute walks two or three times a week. So my desired result was to get in better shape. My top 10 was 20 minute walks. My bottom 10, I looked at the same list. Remember, we're looking at behaviors. And for me, it was the golden arches. I was eating too much McDonald's. So, okay, I got to neutralize the bottom 10 and then I got to empower the top 10. And this is where most people get caught. Most people go, if I'm going to neutralize something, uh, my definition of neutralizing is you spend the minimal amount of time, energy, attention, thought, and resources. Okay. So what most people recognize is they go, if McDonald's is the evil culprit, it's okay. I, I can still go to McDonald's. I jumped online. I went to a calorie restricted diet and I did the calculations and I went to the formula. I'm allowed to McDonald's, but it's only 37.84 calories. That's 14 French fries, two sips of a shake and three licks of a Big Mac. <laughs> and then they go to McDonald's and they start counting up French fries and licking Big Macs. And they created the spreadsheet and you spent time, energy, attention, thought, and resources. You haven't neutralized that behavior. You've actually empowered it. Mm. And this is why so many people end up worse post-op than po post-diet than pre-diet. Because during the dieting phase, they get obsessed with the bottom 10. That's all they think about. And that's all they bring about. So where of this potential pitfall, I created an, an understanding with myself. And the understanding was I will not eat a McDonald's more than once a week. And some people are going gross once a week. Yes, that was a significant. Improvement. <laughs> um, and, and so, but I could, I could own that. I could live with it. It wasn't that, oh, you're having a rough week, skip a week, double up next week. No, it, once a week I could own, it was neutralized. Then I go over here to the top 10 and I want to empower the top 10. How do you empower the top 10? Maximum amount of time, energy, attention, thought, and resources. So I was doing 20 minute walks. So I tried 25 minute walks. 25 was easy. Then I did 30. 30 was no problem. And I thought I'll try something more intensive. I thought I'll run as far as I can. And then I walked the other 28 minutes. Right. I, I ran lamppost to lamppost. And then over time, I saw a shift. As the top 10, and I played in the top 10 long enough, the majority 80, some of those behaviors started following. Um, and then eventually the bottom 10 behaviors, some left altogether and others conformed to the new reality. What did that look like? I remember craving, coming back from a run, craving water. I never, like, I didn't used to crave water. It was like, I want a root beer. I want a ginger ale. My body's craving started to shift. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what the, the magic that happens. If you play in the top 10 long enough, whether it's empowering people's behaviors or empowering your own behaviors, the majority 80 kind of joins along and then one of two things happens either the bottom 10 goes wait i want to join this party or i want to have nothing to do with this party and you get natural attrition they naturally wane away because they haven't got the energy feeding them it's not what they signed up for there's there's not especially on an organizational culture there isn't a right organizational culture there's a right for the right personality so there's mm -hmm. some people who don't want to sing kumbaya they just want to go to their, do their work and go home at four o'clock and not think about it. And that is a particular culture. And for some people, it's a beautiful culture. Other people, it's a kiss of death. On the flip side, some people want to be hugging at work and, and doing silly games and singing and dancing. And they love that. And other people would rather eat their own spleen, right? <laughs> so it's not to dictate to say it's got to be this way or it can't be this way. It's going, here's what we are. This is authentically who we are. And if you want to, you know, eat from the buffet, please join us. But it's not for us to say it's got to be this way. It's got to be that way. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many applications of that. I mean, the whole 
are we working remotely, hybrid, in person? Like that, there's no right answer. There's the right answer for that organization. And sometimes it's not even a single right answer there. It's the answer they choose. And, and, and it's the answer they choose today. Yeah. But a week from now, like what happened during COVID? Everything changed. Yeah. Right. So, for example, teams that were their focus was around um, organization, their focus was maybe around money and, and profitability. Then all of a sudden that hit and they went, whoa, our focus is now on culture or retention. And you have to change. And then now we're getting out of that more and we're getting to other other things. As the evolution of an organization grows, when you're an entrepreneur, you know, policies are death. But when you get to a certain level of growth, if you don't have policies, you die. <laughs> die. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And not that's, yeah, that's die, different kind of die. Yeah, it's just that 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 whole growth cycle, like as different ages, organizations, teams have them too, just like we do as individuals, so that the things change. All right, we're talking with Sanjay Nath, the 10810 principle unlocking dynamic performance. Uh, Sanjay, where can we connect with you? Find out more. I want to learn more about this and and follow up. Where do I do that? Uh, my website is my name. It's sanjaynath.com. Uh, my phone number is there. My email is there. You know, yell, scream, uh, get a styrofoam cup with a really long rope and talk to me. Let me know what I can do to help. I, hopefully you can tell I'm very passionate about what I do. I'm looking, always look for organizations or looking for excuse for excuses to make things work. I love spreading my message and I like having fun at the same time. All right. Well, I'm interested on, on that note in terms of uh, application of the, the 108010 principle. Are there any either concerns or limitations with this where maybe it's not the right lens to to look through or is it really something that you're like there is nothing you can't look at in this with this lens and it's going to be effective yeah so i mean like anything right there's always there's always cost to everything one of the uh concerns that comes up time and time again when i'm working with organizations is they go oh i don't think i could do that because then people think that i'm treating some people unfairly and treating these guys better or these girls worse or whatever and my argument to that is I don't buy it because people earn the right to which they're treated. Um, I was doing some work with an automotive manufacturer once, and there was this lady that to call her toxic, um, the way they was, they described her, I didn't meet her, the way they described her to me, toxic was way too nice a word. Hmm. Uh, it was a, 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 a assembly line setting. She'd been there for 30 years. The last 10 years, they would not let anyone work within 20 feet of her. Because she she like was just sucked the life out of them. Um, every th two or three years, the managers got together, literally drew straws as to whose whose group she would be part of. Shortest person got it for the next two years, right? Just ridiculous. And and I was talking with them, and I said, well, sometimes the best way to neutralize someone is you fire them. And this manager, she says, I could I couldn't do that to her. She's been with the organization for thirty years. That would devastate her. I'm like, you're not doing it to her. She's doing it to herself. So sometimes it's it's a matter of of getting beyond the perception. That's really what it comes down to is the perception of, oh, I'm doing this to them. Oh, oh, I couldn't do that to them. You're not doing it to them. That is the natural order of how things are going to unfold. And um, it's all even I, I would take it a step further. It's what you're not doing for them. Because if that individual has never had to address that behavior, never experienced negative consequence of it how does she know why you, you've taken away the opportunity for her to make a different choice? And that's not fair to her either. Yeah. And, and this is what you're saying. If you don't like your job, get out of the way and let someone you're, you're holding back someone's dream job right now. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, hundred percent agree with you. 
something and i'm sure you've heard this this many times where someone fired someone and they had a meltdown and all and then they you know they lost their mind and then five years later ten years later they bumped that same person and they went wow thank you you freed me i didn't realize it at the time it was the most empowering thing that's ever happened for me yeah yeah i've had that happen sometimes it takes five years and i've had it happen within 24 hours <laughs> Okay, it's interesting. So, all right, as we're wrapping up, Sanjay, listening, going, yes, okay, got it. 10.80.10 makes sense. What's the first thing I need to do to start taking advantage of this principle and start using it in my life? Right. Um, people should hire me. No. <laughs> no. The, the, oh, the 1-800-SANJAY. Exactly. So the, uh, the, the high level, this is the most important thing in, in this always, is what is the desired result? Because people often assume that everyone has the same end in mind, but they don't. I've literally sat at the C-suite of an organization and said to them, what do you think is the purpose of this business? And again, I think we said this earlier, one person going profitability and the second person is going organizational culture and the third person is going environmental sustainability. There's nothing wrong with any of those. Yeah. But you have to be on the same page. Because if I say we're investing a million dollars in the company, and the first person who believes it's about profitability, they're going to invest that money differently than the person who believes it's organizational culture or environmental sustainability. And they're all leading their teams differently and they're all asking different behaviors of their teams. And now it's a mess. Absolutely. So then all of a sudden you're fighting. If I say, oh, who's your, who's your star employee or who's your top 10 employee? The profitability guy answers that question differently than the culture girl or the environmental part, you know what I'm saying? So that's where it always starts from because based on that, the top 10 and bottom 10 can swap very quickly, right? If, if I believe in organizational culture and I want this idea of, I want people to get to go to work and not have to go to work, then it might not be a tradition. It might be the person who's at the front desk who smiles at everyone every morning. And they might be the most pinnacle person for the organizational culture. Because she's got them coffee, because she has a joke, because she makes them smile. And it nothing to do with who's bringing in the most sales or who's got the fanciest technology. So if you don't start from what you want, the high level, the, the, the desired result, the end in mind, the mission, the goal, the vision, whatever it is, you, whatever language you want to use, um, you, you're setting yourselves up for trouble. So that's the first piece. What's my desired result? Second piece is who's my top 10, which is who are the people exhibiting behaviors that are pushing me toward that. And the third piece is who are the bottom 10? Who are the people that are pulling me away, exhibiting behaviors, pulling me away? Keeping in mind, bottom 10 does not mean bad. You could be the bottom 10 in the organization. I can host a dinner party where we're coming over and, and everyone's, we're having a cooking party and I'm the bottom 10 because I'm a horrible cook. But just because I can't cook doesn't mean I can't contribute. Cause I can go grocery shopping and I can do the cleaning and I can organize the schedule and I can do all that other stuff, but we have to have the self-awareness or not. And that starts from being, what do you want? Who's my top 10? Who's my bottom 10? That's where it starts. All right. So listeners, as you're taking the 10, 8, 10, 80, 10 principle, apply it. What does success look like? What are the outcomes you're looking to achieve? What are the behaviors that contribute to that? Identify the top 10 behaviors or people exhibiting those behaviors, the bottom 10, neutralize your bottom 10, invest, empower your top 10, and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Sanjay, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you very much. All the best to you, Dave. Been a pleasure.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.